you may have uh, heard me say in the past that one of the things that we do every week as a staff, part of our staff meeting, is that we listen to a podcast on leadership and sometimes specific church leadership, sometimes more general stuff. But we were listening to one this week um, from Craig Rochelle, his leadership podcast, and, and the title of it was Learning to Lead Yourself. And it was an interesting discussion, but here's one little quote from it that really kind of stood out to me. He said this, he said, at their worst, nobody lies like leaders. We can deceive ourselves, but we'll never be able to lead ourselves as long as we lie to ourselves. That's a powerful statement right there. We'll never be able to lead ourselves as long as we lie to ourselves. And we can get pretty good at that, can't we? We can get good at convincing ourselves that certain things are true or not true uh, when, in fact, that's not the reality. And so part of our responsibility to learn to lead ourselves spiritually is to be really honest about where we are. And by the way, I, I think, I hope everyone realizes that it is your responsibility to lead yourself spiritually, right? That's not my responsibility. That's not the responsibility of your connect group leader or uh, a family member or a preacher you listen to on radio or watch online. It's your responsibility to lead yourself spiritually. And, you know, I, I get that, you know, there are times and places where we need to be fed, especially when we're very young in our faith. And uh, for those that are just starting out, then yes, we need a little extra help. It's kind of that picture of the baby bird in the nest, you know, with the mouth wide open, waiting for mama to drop a little worm down into the mouth, and the bird just chirps and opens its mouth, expecting to be fed. Uh, that's how it works at first. But after a little while, what happens? After a little while, mama pushes that bird out of the nest and says, you got to learn to fly. And once that baby bird learns to fly, then it's got to learn to feed itself. I mean, th that's how it works. And so when we're talking about our spiritual growth, the first thing we need to do to be really honest with ourselves is to acknowledge the fact that my spiritual growth is my responsibility and nobody else's. Thankfully, there are people that God has put in our, our path and we're here for one another. That's why the body of Christ is so important. That's why it's so important for us to come together and gather together. Um, but ultimately, it is our responsibility. And so if we're going to do that, then we're going to have to learn to be honest with ourselves. So that means that, that we acknowledge the areas of our lives that, that, that are out of alignment. It means that we fight against the temptation that all of us have to notice what's wrong in other people but not in ourselves. And you remember Jesus talked about this, right? He talked about how we sometimes can see a speck in our brother's eye and not realize that there's a big old log in our own eye. And there's so much truth to that. It's so much easier to recognize that in somebody else. Um, but part of, of our growth is acknowledging that, you know, there are things that, that we need to acknowledge in ourselves first. We need to recognize uh, where we need to grow. And we've been going through this series for a few weeks now called Transparent. And we've been talking about the importance of being transparent with others and opening up more with others. And we even looked at Jesus doing that with his disciples. And all of that's extremely important. But today, really what we're talking about is being transparent with ourselves, being transparent before God. How do we get really honest just between us and God? And how do we know? How do we make sure that, um, that, that, that we're 
that our evaluation of ourselves is accurate and that we're moving in the direction that we need to move. So that's going to be our passage that we're going to jump into today. Hebrews chapter 4 is going to be our text for today, and I'd love for you to open there with me. We'll start with verses 12 and 13. And I just want you, to, as, as we read this text, to listen to just how powerful God's Word is in helping us to get an accurate picture of where we are. For the Word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So what it's saying here is that, that the word of God is the one thing that can help penetrate into our hearts, that can help reveal the truth about where we are. I guess another way of saying it is this, that it becomes an objective standard. Because so often what we do in evaluating ourselves is maybe we compare ourselves to other people that we know, or maybe we compare ourselves to what we see in our society as a whole, and that's not a good place to go. That's not an accurate way to get a, a true picture of where we are. I think about it like this, you know, there has to be some objective standard out there to measure what is straight and what's crooked. I, I remember when we were building our house 17 years ago, and they were going through, and you do all the walkthroughs and all that, you know, and, and we got to one of those walkthroughs, and coming in out of our garage, in through the laundry room, there is a, a doorway there, and the, the, the door was, the jam was about like this. I mean, it was not anywhere near being straight. It was just slanted way down. And so we pointed that out and asked them to fix it. And the response that we got was, that's within industry standard. You know, it's, it's really not a problem. Now, you can argue all day long with somebody about what's straight and what's not straight, right? But I, I'm telling you, there is a way to tell. And I brought with me the way to tell. There is an objective standard that you can use. I'm telling you, if something's like this, it isn't straight. I don't care what you say about it being an industry acceptable standard. That's not straight. Now, let's work this a little bit, and I'll see how I can get it just right. There we go. That, that's level right there. And y'all know how these work with the little bubble in the middle. When the bubble's in the middle, it means you're level. When it's not, you're not. It's as simple as that. There is an objective standard, something that you can, can put on something and say, okay, it's very level there. That's pretty impressive. Uh, to say something is level or it's not, or it's crooked or it's not, that's, that's what the Word of God does for us. It, it takes away the subjectivity to say, well, you know, I, I really think this part of my life is, is level. When we pull out the standard, we can say, yes, it is, or no, it's not. And that's why scripture is so important to us, uh, so important for us to be able to do that. And so um, in, in verse 13, it says this, it says, nothing at all is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We, if, if you were with us for a while, you might, if it seems like we've been in this passage not too long ago, we actually have back in January when we were going through our five priorities as a church. One of our five priorities is that we apply the Bible to real life. And we were actually in this passage talking about that. I, I wanted to come back to it 
Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about verse 12 again, but really more for the idea of verse 13 of things being laid bare before God. You know, that as we're talking about being more transparent, that, that we allow things to just be what they are and not try to cover them up. That's what Scripture does. Scripture uncovers all the stuff that would keep us uh, from hiding things from God. And so uh, in order for that to happen, there are a few things that, that we need to do. And the first one is that we need to allow Scripture to reveal what is in our hearts. That's where it starts. And that's what it's getting at in verse 12 when it talks about the Word of God being alive and active. And you know, it says that it, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Uh, we need to allow that. We need to allow Scripture to reveal what's in our hearts. Because what I said a moment ago, let me remind you, we're really good at lying to ourselves. We're really good at convincing ourselves of things. And yet, we need some type of a, of a standard to do that. And so, the, the reason that Scripture is um, qualified to do that is because of what it says here about the Word. It says that it's alive and that it's active. That word alive there, it's just literally what it means, is, is to be alive. Uh, I think about 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, where it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The, the, the reason Scripture is alive is because it's inspired of God. It's God-breathed. God has given us this. This isn't just some collection of thoughts. This is the Word of God that we have. And because of that, it is alive. And I'm reminded of that every morning. You know, the, the way I start my day every day is to sit down and open up the Bible and, and ask God, Lord, would you show me something today? Would you speak to me from your Word today? And isn't it remarkable how when you ask God to do that, He does. And there are things that, that, that you may have read you know, 30 times before, and you read it, and God speaks in a different way. And so I've been reminded of that just this week. I've been in the book of Matthew, and it's amazing how just reading through the book of Matthew, I mean, things that Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago were things like in Matthew chapter 18, where it talks about taking the initiative to go to people and make things right. If something's not right in a relationship, Matthew 18 says, you go to that individual and you have a conversation about it, you make it right. How applicable is that for us today and where we live? Matthew chapter 19 gives the story of the rich young man who came to Jesus. And he said, I followed all these commands, what do I lack? And Jesus said, if you really uh, want, want to, to find out, he says, sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And the scripture says that he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. Well, when I read that, I've read that story as many of you have probably many, many times before. But here's what stood out to me more than anything was the fact that Jesus invited him to come follow him. He missed an opportunity to come follow Jesus because something else was more important. He thought there was more value in what he had. And then you get into to Matthew chapter 20 and there is a man who was blind. And, and Jesus comes to him and he asks him a simple question. What do you want me to do for you? And even just reading that question, it was like, God's, you know, are you asking? What are the things? And I could give you, I'll tell you about them later if you want to hear about them. Some very specific prayers that God has answered. I mean, very, very specific things just this week that came out of that, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, this is what I'm asking for today and this week. And God answered those prayers. So all, all that to say, the word of God really is alive it's alive. But, but when you think about something being alive, you can be alive and just sitting in a rocking chair 
and just barely hanging on, right? I mean, no energy, no activity, but you're alive. That's not the kind of alive that he's talking about here because it says it's alive and, what's the next word? And active. Alive and active. The Greek word here, by the way, is the word energes. It sounds a lot like energy, right? Where do we get our, our word energy from? This word, the word is alive and it is energes. There's energy, there's activity in the word of God. It's not just sitting around doing nothing. It wants to be set free. It wants to, to run loose in our lives. And I was reminded of that, of a picture of that in a very embarrassing way this week. I was leaving one morning to go to work and, and our daughter Autumn, when she comes back, and a lot of you know, if you know Autumn, you know Oakley. That's just kind of how it goes. They go hand in hand. Her dog, she's always with her dog. She's always posting about her dog. You want to see cute pictures of dogs, go look up her social media and you'll find a bunch of them. But she brings Oakley home with her. And Oakley has a lot of energy. And one morning, I was about to go to work, and I, I let our two little chihuahuas out and let little Coco out. And something you need to know about Coco, he's not very friendly. Oakley is very friendly. Coco is not. And so Coco walks out, and he sees another dog walking in the cul-de-sac, and he starts yipping at him like little chihuahuas do. Just barking at this dog. Well, Oakley hears it. And unfortunately, I didn't shut the front door, apparently. And Oakley just comes bolting out the door. I mean, just makes a beeline for this dog. And she wants to play, but she's a big dog and it's a little scary sounding. And I'm just horribly embarrassed because she just charges this dog. And I'm chasing after her, trying to get her to come back in the house. And then she realizes the neighbor's dog, who's about this big, is out as well. I think I'll go terrorize that dog. And so she runs over there and I'm chasing her over there. And she runs back to the other dog. I'm chasing her in circles around the cul-de-sac horribly embarrassed because we cannot get this energetic dog back in the house. Now, thankfully, the guy who was walking the first dog took pity on me, and he said, let me just walk her back. And so he brought his dog into our yard up to our front door. It's the only way we could get Oakley to go back in the house. She wasn't listening so well on that particular time because she wanted to run loose. There's energy there. Now, the Word of God doesn't just kind of run crazy like Oakley does. But, you know, I was thinking about that, and I thought, that's, that's what she prefers. Oakley likes to run. She has lots of energy. But when she needs to sit still, she'll sit still. Now, there are days, and one of the reasons we're so thankful for her, there are days when Autumn's away at school when she's not feeling well, and Oakley's right there with her. And she'll just, you know, if she needs to be in bed, she'll just lay in bed with her and be there with her. And uh, on those more difficult days, she can do that. I was like, you know, the, the Word of God can sit still in our lives if that's what we choose. But that's not what it wants to do. You know, the, the, the Word wants to be set free. It wants to be active in our lives. And so we have to open our hearts in order to allow that to happen. You see, some people, this explains why some people's lives are completely transformed by God's Word and others are not impacted at all. And I wonder if there's anybody today that's thinking, you know what, you talk about the Word being alive and active, and frankly, I just don't see it in my life. And that's true for some. The reason it is, is because if we don't open our hearts, if we don't come at it with the, with the, the, the right spirit of, Lord, I'm opening myself to you, I'm, I'm wanting you to penetrate deep within me and do your work, it's not going to happen. 
I had the opportunity to go um, last Sunday, actually, after church. A couple of us uh, left, and we went to my brother's house out in the country, and we were cooking dinner Sunday night and getting some chicken. I was getting some chicken ready, and um, I, I looked for his knives and got his knives out and started, you know, trimming up the chicken, and I, and I was just kind of laughing because he has really good knives. Um, it's not like my knives at home that I'm like, you know, just doing this to try to get it and sharpening it all the time as much as I can. I mean, these knives worked. I was like, wow, this is pretty, this is impressive. They cut through that chicken really well. But I'm going to tell you, they would not have cut through the countertop. Are, are you with me? Even the sharpest knife cannot cut through a completely solid surface. And the Word of God, it says here, is like a double-edged sword. I mean, it, it it's penetrates into our heart. However, we can become so hardened that even the, the, the sword of, the, of God's Word can't penetrate to us. In fact, if you go back just a little bit before in the, in the uh, previous chapter in verse 15, it says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You see, we can harden our hearts to the point that we just aren't open to what God wants to do. And so, so we need to allow the Word of God to get down into us. But that kind of leads me to the second thing. And that is that we do need also to open our hearts to God's Word. That's how it happens. That's how the Word gets inside of us is that we open ourselves up. We are very intentional about not um, becoming hardened to what God has to say. When we do that, but let's just... Let's be honest with one another so that we're not caught by surprise. When we do that, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes the things that we see when we get honest and we're truly transparent before God, sometimes what's revealed in our hearts is not good. And it can be difficult. And that whole process of getting down into the depths of our heart, that, that can be a painful thing. Much like going through surgery. It's painful. I had the opportunity to call this week and pray with somebody that was about to go into surgery. And she was having a tumor removed from her spine. Now, as you can imagine, that's, that's a bit of an intricate process to go through, right? Um, that surgeon was cutting into her not because he was trying to hurt her, but because he wanted to help her. Because he wanted to remove something from inside that didn't need to be there. Now, is there going to be some pain associated with that? There will be. And by the way, she's doing well. Everything went, went well. She's doing well. Um, but she's still going to have some recovery. She's going to have a little bit of pain to work through, a little difficulty there. But the whole point was to remove what was harmful inside of her. That's what the Word of God does. Yes, it penetrates and it cuts through, and sometimes that cutting can be painful, but it's for the purpose of removing those things inside of us that, that really just don't need to be there. So, we have a choice to make when it comes to that. Is Am I willing to allow the Scripture to, to penetrate, to cut in, and to do what needs to be done? Again, um, you know, we can lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that we don't need it. We can judge ourselves by the standards of the world around us. And we can think that things that are inside of us that are harmful, uh, that, that really need to be taken out, we can convince ourselves that they're really okay. 
And I was thinking about that this week. Just think about all the things that our society tells us is not a big deal that the Word tells us differently. I think of gossip, for example, which is kind of celebrated in our culture, right? You, you, you make TV shows out of it, and, and you, we laugh about it and joke about it, and it kind of is, is something that is almost celebrated, and yet in Scripture, it's very clear that there's a lot of harm that comes in, in gossip or speaking negatively about other people, and it can destroy relationships. It can really damage individuals. Uh, we're not going to get that message from the society that we live in. The message that we're going to get is that's okay to be inside of us. It's no big deal. Uh, what about the, the desire for material things? Which again, we're told, hey, get all you can. Enjoy it all you want. And yet I opened scripture and there's so much said about, um, not that, that material things are evil, but things like you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money, and, and there's so much said about generosity, and there's so much said about meeting the needs of other people and letting go of those things. It's a message that is contrary to the message that we receive in our culture. So what are we going to believe? And, and if we don't allow our hearts to be open then allow that word to penetrate into our hearts and cut out those things, then we can convince ourselves that really it's okay. You know, I think sometimes the reason that we don't let our hearts kind of be laid bare before God, as it talks about, is because we're embarrassed of what's inside. We don't really want to expose that to God or to anybody else. It's kind of like a child that is told to clean, clean his room, you know, and he takes everything and just shoves it under the bed so that it's not visible anymore. And when the parents come in to check up and see how are you, you know, did, the, did he really clean his room? And that child is thinking one thing, just don't look under the bed. Don't look under the bed. And they're praying, God, please don't let them look under the bed. Because they know that's this part that has to be hidden. We do that. We shove things down in our heart. We're like, don't look under the bed, God. I, I don't want you to see what's down in there. But part of, of what the word does, it says, verse 13, that nothing is hidden from God's sight. It says everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So God sees it anyway, but it's up to us to allow Scripture to get inside and reveal that and to cut those things out. Now, that could sound very intimidating when it says everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We, if we stop right there, we might think, I really don't want God to see it. But let, let's read a few more verses. Verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, the reason sometimes we're hesitant to allow God to see the whole big picture is because we think, well, God will be repulsed by that. We will be rejected by God. Listen, God knows it all anyway. And the good news is God never rejects us. But God extends mercy and God extends grace to us. And so that's the third thing that I want to encourage you with today is, is that we need to receive his mercy and his grace. 
Verse 16 says that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And that when we do that, we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why is that true? How could it be that this righteous, holy God could extend mercy to us? Could give us grace? Well, the answer is really clear in verse 14. It says, it's because of the great high priest, Jesus. The one that says, by the way, who has ascended into heaven. This high priest that we have. I mean, think about what a high priest did in that day. The high priest certainly was a teacher and was a leader among the people. But one of the most important responsibilities was that on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, this great day that the high priest would enter into the most holy place with this perfect animal sacrifice. Blood would be shed first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. But he would offer a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement that would atone for the sins committed by the people. And the high priest would do that year after year after year. But Jesus, it says, as we get a little bit further into the book of Hebrews... It says that Jesus became our high priest who offered a once-for-all sacrifice. Jesus gave himself for us so that we don't have to repeat this process. He isn't a high priest that is offering something else, some other animal sacrifice year after year. Jesus gave himself. He sacrificed himself for me and for you because he loves us. Because he wants to extend forgiveness. He wants to give us mercy and grace. But those things do come at a cost. It's not that God just turns his head and says, oh, never mind, your sins aren't a big deal. Sin has to be paid for. It's just that he paid that price himself. That's why Jesus is our great high priest. This isn't just some other high priest. This is God himself who took our sins upon himself to sacrifice his own life for us. Jesus didn't deserve to die, but he died in our place. The only one who has ever been without sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's who Jesus is, and that's what, what he did for us. But you know the story doesn't end there because on the third day he rose from the dead, and the story doesn't even end there. It says in the passage we just read that he ascended back into heaven. Why does that matter? It matters because of, of what we see, first of all, in Hebrews 1.3, where it says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, which is the place of, of authority. But then a little bit later, in Hebrews 7.25, we learn that Jesus lives to intercede for us. Jesus became our sacrifice. He covered our sins. But on a day-by-day -day basis, he lives to intercede for us. And it reminds us in this passage that he is able to empathize with us. Whatever it is that you find yourself going through, Jesus understands that. He knows what it's like to be tempted. Now, of course, he was without sin. He didn't give in to it. But Jesus understands that. He understands the temptations that we face. And by the way, this isn't an excuse for our sin by any means. But Jesus knows that we're not going to get it right. That we are going to be sinful. That's why he sacrificed himself for us. And so he extends to us mercy. Mercy is, is when God doesn't give us what we rightfully deserve. What we know from Scripture 
is that what we rightfully deserve is separation forever. We deserve to spend eternity in hell. We deserve to live this life without God. But because of God's mercy, we don't receive that. We don't have to, at least. Through Christ, we can receive mercy. But then it also says not only do we receive mercy, but it says that we also receive grace. If mercy is not giving us what we deserve, grace is giving us what we don't deserve. So not only does God withhold the judgment that we deserve, but he also blesses us beyond measure. He gives us eternal life. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us um, the, the, the truth and the uh, security to know that he will never leave us or forsake us. Whatever we go through in this life, that's what God's grace is all about. And so he extends to us mercy and grace. The question then is, how do we receive that? What, what, what do we do? And all we have to do is what it says here that we need to approach. Verse 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We have to approach God. And the reason we can do so with confidence is not because we are worthy, not because we get our act together and we've cleaned ourselves up so that we are acceptable before God. That's not why. We're able to do that because of our great high priest, because he has sacrificed himself for us, because we have taken on his righteousness. That's why we can come before him with confidence. Listen, if you've been believing the lie that you have to clean yourself up first before you can come to God, it's not true. It's just not true. We can approach him with confidence because of what Christ has done for us. I know some of you do that on a regular basis. Some of you, every single day, you're approaching him with confidence. Maybe every single hour, you're coming before his throne. But I suspect that there may be some. It's been a long time since you've done that. Maybe you, you haven't had confidence Maybe you feel so dirty and so unworthy that you just, you just can't bring yourself to approach God's throne. And today, I just want to remind you, it's not because we're worthy. We can come before him with confidence because of who Christ is and what he has done. So I just want us to do that right now as we pray. We're going to come before God with confidence. And maybe it's been a little while. Since you've prayed, since you've had that, that confidence to approach God, I just want to encourage you to do that right now. Maybe for some, that means calling out to him and saying, Jesus, I need to trust you as my Savior today. I know I'm sinful, but I believe you died for me. I'm giving my heart to you. Let that be your prayer. Or maybe there's something else that you just need to, to speak to God about. Come before him with confidence. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but not just yet. I'm actually going to give us a moment just to pray silently. Right where you are, whatever that prayer needs to be, come before him with confidence now. Let's pray.
Lord, I do pray today uh, with great humility but also gratitude, knowing that, that I can come and that we can come before you with confidence, that we receive mercy and grace when we don't deserve it. But Lord, I, my prayer is just that, that we're able to get honest before you so that we're in a place to receive that. We stop putting on airs. We stop trying to pretend to be who we're not, Lord, but we just allow your word to reveal the truth, and then we lean on you for mercy and grace because you're our only hope, and we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.